Hi everyone, excellent news. Braindance was released on May the 11th and became a bestseller within the first two days and then a number one bestseller. We are over the moon. It's gotten great reviews and I get notes daily from people telling me that it touches them, it helps them. They have people they want to read it. We are so happy. It reads like a novel. That's what people tell me. And you learn a lot about the brain from from reading it. So if you get a chance, it's on Amazon, it's at Barnes and Noble, and also by request at your local bookstore. Thank you for all your support, and I hope you enjoy it. Welcome listeners. This is Diane Wilson with the Genius Podcast. And today we have actually one of my favorite people (laughs) for a long time, um, Dr. Sarah Gray. And I remember just sort of following you on social media going, wow, she seems like such a such an interesting and, and complex and caring therapist mm-hmm. and really, you. you know, had asked you to read Brain Dance and but but actually before then had had followed you and exchanged some things. So this is our first time, even though you're just hearing us, that Sarah and I are seeing each other Zoom okay. face to Zoom face. Yes. <laughs> so it's very special. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Diane. So wonderful to be here and, and also to be talking with you. And yes, I, I have loved our social media connections and that it's always wonderful to take that, um, you know, into to, uh, even more of a connection. So thank you for having me. Great. Well, I wanted especially in terms of your work and on sciencing the human potential and I wondered if you could just tell our listeners who you are, what you do, because you do some really interesting things. Thanks. Yeah. Um, so I am a clinical psychologist with a health psychology specialty and, um, and then pain psychology and rehabilitation psychology subspecialties, I guess you could say. <clears throat> and so within those worlds, um, uh, I'm able to, to, to do a lot and work with a lot of different um, populations, which I enjoy. And so I work um, both um, as a director for outpatient psychology um, and uh, health psychologist and behavioral medicine um, provider for some local Boston hospitals. Um, I'm an instructor at Harvard Medical School. And then I have my own private practice where I do general psychology and behavioral medicine. Um, so I, I also get to practice in a few different worlds and get to see a lot of the, the range of, of healing and recovery in, in different ways. Um, yeah. Very exciting. So uh, tell us a story about how you came to do the work that you do. Yeah, you know, I, I have always had a fascination with, with psychology, even going far back into my younger days. I was a peer counselor early on and have just always wanted, wanted to help. I wanted to understand what helps people thrive. And, um, and then I, I come from a family of um, uh, healers in different ways. Um, my, my sister is a, a family nurse practitioner. My dad is a chiropractor. My sister is a doula. So healing and health has always been around us as a family. So for me, um, when I came across the, the field of health psychology in particular, I knew that mm-hmm. was the perfect fit for me. And so it really blends both of those interests and passions and, and tries to harness those mind-body connections um, to, to look at the ways that 
physical conditions impact our, our mental and emotional health, but also how can we harness that mind body connection and really impact our physical well-being as well. So um, that's, that's been my area of interest and, um, and really just ties a lot of uh, passions together for me. How would you know from your experience that someone has a traumatic brain injury in, in your work? How do you, how do you spot that? Yeah, well, I'm fortunate the, the work I do in, in um, one of the hospital settings, um, I am uh, working with a team of experts, thankfully, and, and I really think mm-hmm. this work, it takes a village because someone who's going through a traumatic brain injury really needs the expertise from multiple disciplines. So I'm fortunate that in, in my work there, typically, um, uh, and ideally, not always though, but ideally mm-hmm. a patient has been linked in with a physiatrist, um, that physiatrist then hopefully, ideally, um, you know, helps to quarterback the, the treatment and, and put that patient in touch with the right specialists, such as rehabilitation psychology, OT, PT, speech language therapy, if appropriate, not all of those are needed necessarily depending on the type of brain injury, the intensity of the brain injury. Um, so by the time someone usually comes to me, they, they've had a full assessment usually. <clears throat> and mm-hmm. then um, I have a sense of where we might want to start. And, um, and with brain injuries, um, at, as you know, you know, they, the symptoms can be so different and varied from person to person, depending on what part of the brain has been affected and, and how severe the injury was. And so um, I'm really doing a lot in my assessment to try to get in touch with what, what particular areas of the person's life are being affected, um, how that's connecting with their day-to-day activities, their, their um, pursuit, you know, leisure pursuits, um, uh, work environment, if they're able to continue working after a brain injury, Mm -hmm. social relationships, and then just sense of self. And, you know, a lot of exploration there about, you know, this, this kind of new normal um, and helping them to process and cope with that while also working with my, my colleagues on, um, you know, um, maybe reinforcing some memory techniques that the speech and language therapist is, is introducing or, you know, mm-hmm. helping someone get used to, um, you know, uh, approaching their activities of daily living in a different way if that's what OT has been helping them with. So it, it's usually um, an area that um, I'm thankful in my position that I often get to work with a whole team around, but I know that's not always the case for most people. Mm-hmm. And, different places. And then even once in a while, people Mm -hmm. will come to me, um, maybe because they have chronic headaches, but the TBI hasn't been diagnosed, but um, I'm the first one to ask some questions about, well, when did that occur? And have you ever experienced any kind of hit to the head? And, you know, is it possible that there might be still some lingering symptoms? You, You might want to see my colleague, the physiatrist. So sometimes I'm making the referral for the first time. And that's often really gratifying to catch something that might've been missed along the way. Yeah. I think that's the awareness piece is just really in your work and, and overall is so important because I don't think most people recognize like how the brain is impacted by different events and how it might manifest 
And it's easy to see why though, when you, when you talk about the range of symptoms and all. Yes. Yep. And we're, you know, understanding more and more how, um, uh, you know, even more subtle injuries can really have lasting effects. So it doesn't have to be um, such a severe injury to the brain. Um, it, it can be more subtle, but really disrupt those neuronal connections to the point that someone continues to have lingering symptoms. And, um, you know, wasn't that long ago. And in fact, I still have patients who come in who have been told by, by, um, other um, clinicians that, well, no, you know, you, you really shouldn't have any post-concussion so symptoms last after, you know, just a, a few weeks time, certainly not, you know, after a few months. So it must be something else. And unfortunately, there are still mm -hmm. clinicians saying that to patients and, and it really does some damage because it really um, invalidates what they're experiencing and really isn't in line with the most current research that shows that um, it, these effects can come from even more subtle injuries and can be quite lasting and quite debilitating. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us uh, about your, the major misconceptions around TBI? Does that resonate with you? Yeah. You know, I, I really talk a lot about this with my patients because even, even my patients coming in having been diagnosed with a TBI or, or even, um, uh, you know, it's, it, it, it's very clear. There's no doubt. They, they, they just, mm -hmm. you know, we're in a, um, you know, car accident hit their head is very clear mm -hmm. uh, progress, progression, but, um, even they, um, often need a lot of education about, um, just how varied the, the symptoms of having a traumatic brain injury can be from person to person and injury to injury. And so I think um, a lot of times people have an image of maybe a, a very severe TBI or, um, mm -hmm. you know, maybe they have a sense of what a concussion is and, um, you know, might have some sense of some symptoms that show up for people, but um, don't always understand that depending on the, the actual location of the parts of the brain that have been injured, and oftentimes this, this can be multiple parts of the brain, you know, those parts of the brain correlate with specific functions. And so um, the, the kind of, um, you know, experience of um, symptoms of a brain injury are really going to differ from person to person, depending on where that occurs. So, you know, for some, it might be a lot of vestibular systems and dizziness and balance issues, um, mm -hmm. back of the brain injuries, but, you know, for others, it might be more executive functioning that when the frontal lobe is affected and difficulty planning, difficulty with focus or attention. Um, so um, that, that can be really a surprise to the patient themselves um, if they have a, a certain preconceived notion of what that might look like. Um, so we do a lot of education about just even, you know, some, some basic neuroanatomy, you know, that this is, this is your brain. These are the parts of what they're re responsible for. And this is why, you know, you're, you're struggling with mm -hmm. symptoms as opposed to others. Mm -hmm. That's very helpful. That's very helpful. And it's, it's such a complex structure too. I think I, I talk a lot about that with my patients as well. You know, it's, um, it's not just as simple as having broken, broken 
a bone, you know, and okay, there's an x-ray we can take of our broken wrist and we know exactly mm-hmm. where it is. And there's a certain course of recovery that is pretty consistent for most people, you know, with a broken wrist in general, um, and a prognosis and, you know, even a timeline that people can expect, you know, to be recovered in a certain number of weeks. Um, Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, the brain is just so much more complex than a bone or, you know, a a torn ligament or, you know, Mm -hmm. so it it really, um, you know, we're still really understanding all of the all of the levels of complexity, but it also can make uh, the recovery process um, not as straightforward and certainly not as straightforward or, or fast as, as anyone would like, certainly the one who's suffering with it. Speaking of COVID, I guess COVID is everywhere in every conversation that doesn't need a lead in, but, but what are you seeing in terms of your work and COVID and, and maybe some things around this brain topic? Yeah, we, you know, I'm, really um, glad that the hospital that I'm at actually has, um, because it focuses on rehabilitation of, of all injuries, brain injuries, spinal cord injuries, mm-hmm. burns, amputations, sports injuries. And now, um, you know, COVID, chronic COVID, chronic long, long haulers, if you will. Um, and so we have already designed programs to really take a team approach with those patients, just like we do with our other injuries and illnesses. So, um, so I, I have been seeing those patients already, um, uh, both, both in the hospital setting and, and my private practice too. Um, but uh, it's, it's, you know, even more effective again in the um, hospital setting. Um, you know, I just met with someone earlier today um, and uh, that person is getting a, a team approach. That person is needing occupational therapy, speech and language um, therapy for um, a lot of people don't know a speech language pathologist. Um, not only do they help with, speech and, and vocalization and swallowing disorders. Um, but they also mm-hmm. um, can have a specialty in cognitive therapy, which is why they often are a huge part of the team for um, brain injuries, but also now COVID uh, because we are seeing um, really is affecting the brain and um, entire systems. So um, this person was needing help with cognitive processing. Um, there was, you know, some some actual speech effects, um, brain fog, energy, um, even just uh, walking. There were balance issues created by COVID, and, and this person was very healthy and active um, until March, you know, of last year or so. Um, and so, I think we're just starting to understand the effects. But I think, um, at least in my my uh, hospital um, setting, you know, we're really treating it as if it's, you know, another um, type of, of um, chronic uh, brain injury to some degree and, and approaching it from that perspective. Just, I, I don't think we understand how COVID affects us, but we're beginning to. It's pretty, it's a lot. It, it is a lot. Um, I think uh, since it seems to be acting on the nervous system and the brain directly, it seems that there are some, some effects um, that are mm-hmm. directly coming from uh, the COVID infection itself, um, you know, but um, also there's those secondary mood effects that we see in, in 
most chronic illnesses and injuries, which are, you know, yeah, when you're dealing with something um, that, that affects so many parts of one's life. And, you know, mm-hmm. for, for a long time, it, of course, affects mood and creates stress and, you know, keeps you from doing the things that you love to do that bring you joy. So then it's harder to find that it creates a lot of worry because you're not sure what's coming next. So those are all mm-hmm. areas that as a, as a health psychologist, I'm doing a lot of work with and you know, I think we'll be seeing more, more of that, unfortunately. Um, but I hope we can keep raising the awareness on it. So having read Brain Dance, the story of my injury and recovery, what stood out most for you? I really, by the way, thank you so much for reading it. it I think you were the very first person that I asked mm-hmm. after it was finished. <laughs> it, just yeah. my pleasure. But anything surprised you? What did you gain, if anything, from from reading this medical memoir? Oh, such a wonderful and important piece, Diane. And I just, I I hope anyone who's listening to this, if they haven't read it already, will really um, run out and and get a copy and and really um, read it. It's a, it's a, enjoyable read and easy read in terms of just it moves quickly um, but it contains so much important information and so I think um, you know for me um, your your story mirrors so many uh, of so many of the patients that I work with in terms of um, really just that journey where sometimes it takes way too long to even get a diagnosis or even have um, brain injury named as you know something that's coming up so like we were talking about earlier today that that it can go miss if there's a sense of you know if the symptoms don't fall in a certain pattern or don't resolve in a certain time frame you know that um that can really get missed and yet the recovery process um you know can be delayed sometimes if you're not linked in with you know all the services um so that struck me as how persistent you were despite um, not having, having everything you needed in the beginning and not having that named, but really, you know, um, still continuing to have that resilience to try to find the treatments that you did need and finally, you know, get to that diagnosis. Um, Mm -hmm. And the other part that I really love about brain dance and and your story is um, that like, like many patients who are being told, well, you know, we, we don't really understand where some of these symptoms might be coming from, you know, until you get the proper diagnosis that can be hard to, to put, you know, a, a, a name on. Um, and so you really sought out some innovative treatments. And even when people do have the diagnosis, a lot of times they are told, um, well, there, you know, there's nothing else really to do, or maybe do a little bit of this that you've already been doing. So, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people end up really, um, searching out more innovative or lesser known treatments, um, such as the neurofeedback and EMDR. Mm -hmm. And so I was really glad to see some of those mentioned because, um, I have found those to be such vital tools in my toolbox. And I was glad that you were sharing those with the world and brain dance as well. And that they helped you too. (laughs) (laughs) singing and yes yes yeah. a lot of good therapies thank you it's interesting to to write a book for a couple of years and and bring it out of your room or your house or 
into the world. And, and so I was grateful for your feedback. Oh my gosh. It's a joy, joy to read. Yeah. So who, who do you, thank you. Who do you think will benefit from the book? Like from your, from where you're sitting, then who, how, how would you recommend this? If, if you would. Yeah, I think it's, it's a wonderful book in that, um, I, I would personally be recommending it to patients, to family mm-hmm. members of the patient, and to my, my colleagues um, who don't mm-hmm. always understand brain injury and who don't, and even if they do from a clinical sense, don't always really um, maybe get to see the struggles that are involved from, from a patient perspective. So I think mm-hmm. that it's such a wonderful part of brain dance that it can really share, you know, and, and teach so much and be enjoyable and, and interesting for any of those populations to be reading. Sometimes there's books where, you know, it just is very patient focused. I wouldn't necessarily think that a family member or a, mm-hmm. you know, a colleague might benefit as much, but this is one that really, I think, and any of those people could, could benefit and get a lot out of. Thank you. That seems helpful. It's funny. I, I ran this past one of my friends who's a physician and she works in family practice and she read it and she, it was very upsetting to her. She goes, your case was uncommon. This never happens. I see concussions all the time. And then, and then I thought, oh my gosh, you know, these are the first readers and and then other people read it and said, this is what it's like. Yeah. And then she thought about it and came back and said, I see people and now I know the possibility of what they go through. I, I screen for concussions, but I realized that I don't see the longer picture or the interior. And she said it was very revealing, but it was very uncomfortable. So that it surprised yeah. me a lot. Yeah. You know, uh, well, so wonderful of her to be able to take stock and then actually, you know, really adjust and, and realize she had mm-hmm. some, some blind spots there. And mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, unfortunately uh, that, that goes back to, um, you know, and until pretty recently, you know, um, I think a lot of physicians were told the, the standard, you know, oh, it doesn't resolve in, you know, a few months, you know, it's probably not a concussion or it doesn't tend to last longer mm-hmm. than that time. And, um, and we, we didn't have the understanding that we do now, the research that we do now, and that we're still building upon, um, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I unfortunately have heard from a lot of my patients too, that even the most well-meaning clinicians, people who are, I'm sure, very dedicated to their practice and their patients, um, mm-hmm. you know, just did not get that education and it's maybe not, um, out there as much as it could be. So that's such an important, um, area. I think your, your book is going to help with. Yeah, that was interesting. I, I think she had to do some reviewing. It's like, did I do a good job? I'm so touched that someone would go through that process of looking at what we do or what they do. And, and it's like, did I do this well enough? But we are all learning and there's so much to learn. Yeah. We all have our our blind spots and we can't know Mm -hmm. everything. So, you know, it's, I think it's so wonderful to have those opportunities to really be shown a different perspective and really learn from that. So. so tell us a story about what it's been like to be you in this, if you don't mind us going like a, a level deeper and, and a little more personal that 
that, I mean, what's, what's your life been like at living in Boston and looks like you're in a pretty cool place. Oh my gosh. Look at that sun, that, what do you call that window skylight you're you're so artistic everything is artistic about you like your twitter page has this inviting room you just want to go sit in it it's (laughs) your banner (laughs) but your intuition is right on what i didn't mention in the beginning diane is that before i went back to school for for psychology i had been an artist and art teacher and so i do still weave that in so thank you for picking up on that oh, <laughs> um, you know I'll do some yes. art, art therapy sometimes still as a way to bring that forward but to me creativity is um, such a vital part of of get you know self-reflection of self-exploration and so um, mm-hmm. I think it really has a place in our field so good I'm glad that comes across um, but yes. <laughs> yeah so I mean you know um, I, I feel fortunate that, that Boston, you know, has been um, a place that has taken COVID very seriously from the start. Um, and uh, so, you know, I've been grateful that there's been leadership, um, you know, both at the state level and local levels and, and um, certainly in the hospitals I work at, just really um, taking things seriously, working really hard. I can't even imagine, um, you know, to put protocols in place to stay safe. Um, and along those lines, um, you know, as a, as a psychologist, I have been doing remote work since, um, since March in both my private practice, but also the hospital setting. They've, they've really made that a priority for anyone who could be remote and not everyone could with their, their role, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, anyone that, that could to do so. So, so it's been an adjustment. Um, I was doing telehealth before COVID. So for me, it wasn't as much of an adjustment, thankfully, in that regard, as people who really had never tried telehealth or maybe didn't, didn't, didn't care for it or believe in it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. So for me, it's always been, um, well, not always, but I mean, certainly a few years prior to COVID, I guess, um, a part of, of my practice that I could offer. And, uh, and so, but um, I had certainly never been doing every single session virtually. And um, so that was an adjustment and continues to be there are pros and cons to the platform, but I'm overall really grateful to have these opportunities and that my work as a psychologist translates pretty well for the most part in that regard. Um, the one piece that's been harder to be doing as much of and what I really do miss a lot of is um, I, uh, as one of the tools in my toolbox that I use with my patients, depending on the, the, the person and the, the needs, um, are biofeedback and neurofeedback, which I know you, you also mm-hmm. practice and mm-hmm. do a lot with. And um, there have been ways to do that remotely, which I have been with, with some people, but um, not everyone's able to... Um, to, to do that work remotely for different reasons. And there are some limitations to the remote options I find. So, um, so that's the one thing that I'm really looking forward to getting back to when we're able to be in person, but overall it's been, you know, um, uh, you know, just a real honor to, to try to be here for people going through similar things and, you know, try to try to help um, people adjust as, as best any of us can during this time. Mm-hmm. That's good. 
So you've been home literally since last March. You've been working from home. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. Very lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Really grateful to have had that. You know, just no, no, um, no pressure to have to figure out protocols. You know, um, with psychology, you know, it's. it's hard um Mm -hmm. you know if we were in person and both having to wear a mask um to me that um is harder because I don't always get the facial expressions that help guide my work a lot um so telehealth even though it has its drawbacks has has really helped uh, me to be able to continue the work so that's been good what's your outlook in terms of the next six months like if you could foresee what will happen or what would you predict? I think the vaccines just really open up so many possibilities for people. And I'm so glad that, you know, we have those, um, those options now just was a game changer, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you reading brain dance and taking this time to talk with me today about how things are going, what, what's going on. You just have such an interesting job and, and perspective and congratulations on your re you did a major research study recently, right? Thank you. Yeah. Yes. That, mm-hmm. uh, closer to the beginning of the pandemic, um, myself and, and a, a couple um, wonderful colleagues um one one in the the boston system as well dr sarah balu and then um one mm-hmm. dr uh, Oli paulson who is um out of uh unc but world renowned for his wonderful wonderful contributions to clinical hypnosis and chronic conditions such as uh, gi disorders um he he invited um, us to partake in this study where we we were able to um do a survey that was a large enough sample and a a diverse enough sample throughout the country to really get some statistics on the effects of the pandemic. So we have that published as the the National Pandemic Emotional Impact Report. And um, and it really was uh, detailing people's um, responses and effects and um, um, emotional uh, and mood effects as well. towards the beginning of the pandemic. And um, we were able to create a scale, um, the pandemic emotional impact scale from that, that other researchers can use and and are using um, now. We we were able to validate that um, and and find that it it really was uh, um, efficacious and and a, a valid scale. Um, And so people can continue to use that to get a sense of how people are being impacted by the pandemic, whether it's COVID or, you know, goodness forbid, if we ever have another pandemic of any kind or another, you know, big Mm -hmm. flare, we now have a tool that we can track the effects. And it turns out the the effects were quite large and and, um, across a number of of populations, ages. Um, So, yeah, yeah, people can certainly look up that report if they're interested. That's very interesting. Oh, well, do you think you'll do it again? It, administer it again? Yeah. I hope so. Yeah, we've, we've mm-hmm. talked about it. I, I, I hope we can too. I know um, mm-hmm. I, I am curious to, to kind of compare, you know, um, mm-hmm. where things are at now um, rather than um, in the beginning when everything was so 
so brand new and shocking and un, uncertain. So um, I, I, I do hope we can uh, do a, a follow-up if possible. Mm -hmm. Well, again, thank you so much for your time today and really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure, Diane. And, and thank you so much for having me and for your wonderful work. Brain dance is such an important work and I'm so glad it's out there for everyone to enjoy. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast from Genius, Sciencing Our Human Potential. Be sure to visit our website at Genius Podcast for clips and episodes from our previous series. It was called Voices in the Pandemic and featured amazing guests sharing their expertise, human stories, vulnerabilities, triumphs, and a lot of good advice. Please share and subscribe to our podcast and give us your comments about what you're liking. Any suggestions you have on who I could be interviewing as we move along here. And also if you're interested in being a sponsor of the program, a quick thanks to the team of people who make this the podcast that it is. And it's something I'm very proud of. Dan Schiffmacher, who's our editor and production manager, who makes everything better. Cameron Wyatt, my assistant, who's a master organizer and helps develop content. And then to this handful of people who have been invaluable in different ways in us getting started. Gary Wilson on editing, moral support, and concepts and others, Catherine Ferran, Sherry Frey, Lisa Files, and Toby Dorr. Thank you, team. <laughs> Our vision is to bring conversations to you that help you feel more connected, to embrace your fears and become more informed about what's going on, to cultivate and share your own genius, to be present and still look forward with inspiration. If you experience inner any or all of those things, please share them with others. Right now, our world needs positivity and it needs for us to connect with others. Thank you for listening again today. Please come back and be well. Mm -hmm.